I want to assure you that every command that God gives, He gives from a Father's heart. He loves humanity, so He has communicated with us and told us what to do in this dark land. And that way we don't have to stumble about. So every one of His commands and all of His demands for lordship are really a gift of God's grace. And with that, I want to invite your attention to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26. European preschools are prohibited from using gender-specific pronouns for the boys and girls there. They cannot say he or she uh, in many European uh, preschools in uh, Europe. University of Tennessee has a diversity office that suggested about two years ago to use pronouns, different pronouns, than he or she. And uh, they, were, uh, they had suggested those, had intentions of making those actually um, uh, uh, demands on the part of the student body until the Tennessee legislature stepped in and said it's perfectly fine for students at the University of Tennessee to use he or she in describing other people. But California has passed legislation that threatens uh, nursing home care workers if they end up using a pronoun for a man or a woman there that they don't prefer to be used. If a man thinks he's a woman in California nursing homes, you've got to refer to that person as her or she. If a woman thinks that she is a man, then California nursing home workers have got to refer to her as him uh, or he on the threat of imprisonment. Carries up to a year in prison for the penalty. Uh, just uh, last year, the Obama administration threatened public schools with a loss of funding if they did not let boys who felt they were girls go to girls' bathrooms or girls who felt they were boys go to boys' bathroom. Uh, the department store Target has done the same thing, and their stock has dropped, and it should have. Facebook allows 50 different gender choices for those who make use of it. And today, uh, researchers report that children as young as three are undergoing hormone treatment and surgery and even support groups because they are not comfortable in their own body. What in the world is going on in the United States? This is the problem of transgenderism. And I want to give you just a basic introductory uh, understanding of it. First, the question, what? What is transgenderism? Transgenderism is essentially a feeling of a person who is not comfortable being what they are anatomically. It would be a boy not feeling comfortable as a boy and sometimes wanting to be a girl. A girl not feeling comfortable being a girl but wanting to be a boy. Or a man wanting to be a woman, woman wanting to be a man. It's primarily a feeling. It creates an awful lot of stress in the individual. With children, it is usually very temporary. Up to 85 or 90 percent of those get past it once they passed puberty. Nevertheless, there are some that are recommending hormone treatments and surgery for young children. It's not necessarily sexual, not related always to that, though occasionally it is, but it is analogous or similar to anorexia. Anorexia may be a case where a young lady looks in the mirror and she's whittled down to about 65 or 70 pounds, and when she looks in the mirror, she thinks she's fat, and she thinks so sincerely. 
She thinks so sincerely. It's very similar to that. That is what transgenderism is. Well, why? Why is this uh, occurring? Um, Some might ask, is it because of rebellion? I imagine with some adult cases it probably is, uh, though not all. I I think primarily, and the research I have done, is that it is primarily an imposition of the adult world onto kids. And among adults, it may be something similar to that as well. Somebody's got a hold of them and told them that this is okay. Manipulated them or in some way or another convinced them that this is a legitimate choice. The thing that it is not is that it's not scientific. There, is no, there have been no discoveries uh, linking it to, to genetics or anything physical at all. And so the science is not behind it. Now, that's what's so breathtaking about what the federal government and some school districts have done. Usually, they'll wait for the science to communicate to them what to do. Instead, what the Fed did and what some states and school districts are doing is that they're getting ahead of the science, perhaps to the detriment, certainly to the detriment of children. Well, who is it that is struggling with this? Well, less than 1% of the population, but in a nation of... 330 million people, that can be a considerable number. But it's spread across children, teens, and adults. How do we respond? Well, we respond with truth. We respond with truth. Let me make you a promise that here at Beach Haven Baptist Church, no matter what your confusion, no matter what your struggle, we're going to preach God's truth about all of the issues. Now, I've got to tell you, I really don't like preaching this message today. And I don't like anything about this series I love the Bible, don't misunderstand me. But it really bothers me because I don't like wondering what do senior adults think about these subjects. They didn't grow up in a world like this. Now, I did. I did. I grew up in a working class neighborhood in Houston and then the West Coast. I've been familiar with these things for more than since 1976. But our older folks didn't grow up in a world like this. It's just stunning to me. So I've got to let you know, we're going to preach the truth, but regretfully, we've got to preach some hard truths. And that's what we do. That's oftentimes what our world puts uh, in front of us. But we're going to preach biblical truth, and the only thing that can be loving is that which is true. No one who misleads a child is loving whatsoever. Only that which is true is ultimately loving, and in my case, pastoral. So we'll respond with truth. Uh, Then we're going to respond with love. Let us be very careful that we are never like the world, and we never call people struggling with this issue or other issues some of the nasty slang names that they're called. We we don't use that kind of language. I, I would prefer that you just call them by their first name. That's what we do. And let me say, if you are struggling with this particular issue, you're in the right place and you belong here, and we're just going to call you by your first name. We're not going to contribute to the problem at all, but we're going to call you by your first name. And you are in the right place. Then we're also going to respond with friendship. We want you here, and again, you are in the right place. And I want to assure you, we don't have all the answers, but we know Jesus who's got them all. And so we magnify him and we put him forward as the wisdom of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, Moses records God's act of giving gender to the human race. Beginning in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It's emphatic here. Male and female, he created them. Then God said to them, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created gender, and it is therefore a dangerous thing to seek to change it with hormones or surgery or even mentally. Now, why then is it so dangerous? Well, first, transgenderism disregards the creation of God. Now, the Scripture teaches several things about God's gift of gender. In verse number 26, there it involves dignity. Let the earth, or he goes on in verse 26, let us make man. The Trinity is speaking here in a holy council. It's not angels or any saints there, obviously. Angels don't create. But let us make man in our image. That's a royal image, and kings would place their image at the boundaries of their kingdom. And so this is a royal reference, a very dignified reference to humanity. Uh, and if you didn't understand that, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion, royal rule over everything. So when God makes a boy, God is making royalty. When God makes a girl, God is making royalty. When God makes a boy, He's making a prince. And that's what you are. You're not a freak. You're not weird. You're not strange. If you're a boy, anatomically and biologically, you're a prince. Claim it. And if you are a girl, you're a princess. Now, I know most of you think that already. But if you're a girl, <laughs> you're <laughs> you're, and you ought to be treated that way because that's how God has made you. You are a child intended for the kingdom and the royal rule and administration of Jesus Christ. You're dignified. That's what you are. You're not a freak, even if you're struggling with this issue. You're not a freak. You're not weird. You're not strange. You are royalty. Then it involves also reality. In verse number 27, he said here, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. You see the emphasis there by repetition. And so, in case there's some confusion, male and female, he created them. That's real. That's real. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, there is no such thing as a transgender person. There's no such thing as a homosexual person outside the behavior. There are men and there are women. There are boys, there are girls who are princes and princesses before God. And that's what God intended. This is reality. This is part of creation. And creation and reality are terribly inflexible. You can begin believing that you can fly and you can start a civil rights movement on that behalf and demand that everybody accept you and threaten and bully anyone who doesn't believe you can fly without the assistance of an airplane or wings. But jump off a building. And you're going to find creation is not going to cooperate with you. And the same is true with this issue. God has placed into human beings reality and it is inflexible. If you are anatomically and biologically a boy or a man, that will never ever change. 
And the same is true if you are a female. Bruce Jenner, a couple of years ago, came out as Caitlyn. And on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine, he dressed up as a woman, had gone through surgery, hormonal treatment. But there's one thing that they could not change about him, and it's hidden in the picture. In the picture, he appears, but his hands are behind his back. They could not surgically transform his hands from the hands of a man to the hands of a woman. Men's hands are much thicker and oftentimes bigger. Women's hands are thinner and smaller, obviously. They could not change that. Creation is inflexible. The way God has made us cannot change. A person may have surgery to change a woman from a man, man to a woman, but that person cannot change their genes or their chromosomes whatsoever. The American College of Pediatricians has said, sex change is objectively impossible. Steve Rhodes from the University of Virginia has written a work in which he reports on twin boys who were born. And because there was a botched circumcision with the boy, one boy, they, they surgically, as an infant, changed him into a girl. And instead of giving him a male name, called him Brenda, and raised him as a girl and the brother as a boy. There's a problem. Brenda didn't cooperate. The first time Brenda put on a dress, she ripped it off. And when they gave Brenda a jump rope, she beat people with it and tied people up to trees with it. When given an option to purchase uh, or to pick out some girls' toys, uh, Brenda picked out a toy machine gun and mowed down everybody with it. And then Brenda was very interested in daddy shaving. Now again, Brenda was born... Uh, genetically and hormonally a boy. And because of the bot surgery, they transitioned her to a girl. Finally, at the age of 14, Brenda demanded that she be called David. And at 15, they told David the story of uh, birth and the botched surgery. Today, David is married and has three adopted kids. And Johns Hopkins University found 25 people in the United States who had gone through a similar experience one way or another, surgically and hormonally. And they found that 100% of those who had gone through a similar experience as David all manifested the rough and tumble characteristics of a boy. Creation is inflexible, and I want to tell you, I don't care what the world says, you're never going to find any peace until you conform to what God says in Genesis 1. If you are anatomically, biologically a boy, then you're not a freak if you don't feel comfortable that way. You're not weird. You're not strange. You're a prince and you've got to claim it. The same is true if you're a girl. You are a princess. So in, to treat, well, in fact, Johns Hopkins back in the 70s quit doing these surgeries. In their research, they found that those who uh, transitioned surgically from male to female or female to male were no better off and so they quit the surgery altogether. Ladies and gentlemen, to treat people who are confused about these issues with hormones or surgery is like treating someone with anorexia by recommending liposuction or a weight loss program. So creation involves dignity and reality, but creation also involves eternity. You see, the body will be resurrected at the end. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, verse number 49, listen to what Paul says. 
And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, the one who made male and female. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In other words, corrupting the body with hormones that are not according to your biological um, status and corrupting it with surgery will not make it to the other side. In the resurrection, you will be raised as what you were born. You will inherit in corruption. It involves eternity. So trust the God who created you. In fact, when you come to Jesus Christ, He begins a process of recreation in your soul that culminates one day in the resurrection of the body. And in Colossians 3.10, it says that you are created, recreated in the image of Him who created you. In other words, if you'll give your heart and life to Christ today because of His death and His resurrection, what God will do is that God will begin to remake you into the image of Jesus. Man, you talk about royalty. You talk about a grace. You talk about a gift. How good and gracious and kind He is. There is nothing that sex change surgery, hormonal treatments, or changing sexes can bring that's anywhere near this kind of gift that God is giving. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, instead of being confused by transgenderism, to be remade in the image of Jesus Christ? So transgenderism disregards the creation of God. But second, transgenderism displays the corruption of the fall. Now turn a couple pages over. Adam and Eve go along, and they're tempted by the tempter, and they fall into sin. Adam tempts Eve first. Adam's kind of wimpy, and he's standing there. He doesn't interfere spiritually, and he uh, just does what he's told to do. He eats the fruit with her. And then in verse 19, look what it says. God judges them. He judges the, he judges the devil first, and then Eve. And then in verse 19, he's speaking to Adam. He said, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God is describing here a process of total corruption of the human person. When our first parents sinned, they injected death, deterioration, and corruption into the human experience. There, there was none of that before. They fell into sin. But after, that, that's, uh, that's what you've got. And so the world is full of misery. So I've got to tell you, it is really no surprise to me that there are people who struggle with these issues. Now, I've got some bad news for you. Unless there's an awakening in our nation, you need to know that the things you're saying now could never happen will probably happen in about 30 years. I remember reading about these things 30 years ago as a freshman in college, and I said, there's no way. You're an alarmist. You're just trying to sell books. Everything a particular author said would happen 30 years ago is happening. There's one thing that isn't, but the rest of his forecast is the case. And it makes sense. When human beings can depart from God, they take that route without the supernatural intervention of Jesus Christ. So I need to say to you, because the human being is corrupt, 
And we love corruption. And our heart, soul, spirit, and demonic forces conspire against us because of these things. The things you're saying right now could never happen will happen within 30 years unless there's a supernatural intervention of Jesus Christ and revival and awakening in our land. And and it shouldn't come as any surprise to any of us because we are corrupt. We are children of dust. We're returning to the dust. We are degrading. Now, that is entirely contrary to the notion of naturalistic evolution, which says we're always improving and we're always on the way up. And we are always uh, growing and developing and perfecting. That's not true. Without Jesus Christ, society devolves. It does not evolve. It declines. It does not rise. And so none of this should be a terrible surprise. What Satan is attempting to do is that he and demonic forces are conspiring with the world and our own flesh to turn the whole world into a Satanocracy. And I'm not a bit surprised he's attempting to do that with the United States because we are the strongest and most vigorous missionary nation on the earth. Now, I'm not too impressed with how committed we are to it, but compared to all the others, we're doing a lot more and sending a lot more. I'm impressed with what you're doing, but not the nation or the churches as a whole. So it comes as no surprise to me that that is precisely what he would do with uh, a nation like this. Now, here's the thing. If you don't understand that, you're going to make the mistake of believing that your feelings are accurate. You're going to make the mistake of believing your feelings more than the Word of God. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says what? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can fathom just how wicked the human heart is? Martin Luther used to say, feelings come and feelings go. And feelings can be deceiving. My hope is in the Word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. So don't be surprised, whether it's this issue or something else, that your heart wants to do something contrary to God. That is not surprising at all. Therefore, your feelings cannot be your master. They must be your servant. They're blind. They can't read. They're blind. So feelings make great servants, but they're tyrants as, as, um, as masters. Now somebody might complain and say, wait a minute, I believe if I feel it, it's right and I should do it. And I would say to you, there are a lot of prisoners who would agree with you. Nearly everyone in prison did exactly what they felt like doing, and they hurt someone else's life. So understand what's going on with transgenderism and some of these other issues is just the natural consequence of the fall. And if we do not have a revival and awakening, it's going to get worse. And so that's why October 22nd is so vitally important in the life of our church. We love our community no matter how bizarre our nation may become. No matter how out of sorts and how much it may walk away from God, we still love our community. And for that reason, we're going to offer our community the gospel of Christ through the ministry of evangelist Bailey Smith. And I need you to attend both services. We need you to believe that God can save souls. And then we need you to collect all your family and friends and get them here for that great meeting. Maybe God will spark something new and powerful on that day. Then there's a third reason transgenderism is so dangerous, and that is it distorts the convictions of Jesus. Some cranky person might say, Jesus never condemned transgenderism. 
Well, Jesus never condemned puppy torture either. Jesus never condemned pedophilia or rape or spousal abuse or child neglect. He never did that. It reminds me of the 12-year-old boy who had never spoken his whole life. He had never said a word to anyone in the family. He just sat quietly and went through his day and, and uh, went to school, came home. He had never spoken a word. And finally, one morning, his mother gave him a bowl of oatmeal, the first time she'd done so in all of his life. And he took a spoonful and put it in his mouth, and he said, Yuck! This is disgusting! And his mother was thrilled. You said something. Why haven't you said something before? He said, Well, up to now, everything's been fine. (laughs) There was no need to say anything. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't say anything about these issues because they did not exist in Israel. There was no problem with this in Israel. Israel adopted the Old Testament as its vision and view, and it had a society where that was implemented in legal code that stood by it and sentences and punishments for those who didn't follow it. That's how Israel was. And so these issues just were not there, you see. So it is absurd It is an absurd approach to reasoning to think that Jesus wouldn't be in favor of transgenderism, homosexuality. He'd be in favor of rape or child neglect or puppy torture because of the silence there. But there's a second thing I would say. Uh, Not only uh, did Jesus not speak about a lot of things, but when people say Jesus never addressed this, it's an odd circumstance. They're using the Bible, but they don't believe it. Deuteronomy 22, 5, Moses addressed it. Paul addressed these issues too in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So the Word of God addresses it, and if you're going to truncate or limit the Bible to just Jesus, you're using the Bible to deny the Bible. That's hypocritical. But there's a third response I would say. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament and the New Testament. And He said the person that teaches against this and teaches others not to go by it, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And that in John 16, 12 through 14, he pre-certified the New Testament. So trust Jesus' approach to the Bible. Well, there's a fourth thing. Transgenderism disobeys the commands of Scripture. Now look what God says in verse number 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Bear children. And... That is true, and that is necessary for all those that are physically capable, capable, and those for whom it is not it is God's will to be unmarried. Otherwise, we're to be fruitful and multiply. Now, God anticipated some of this confusion. So in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number five, he says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. Nor shall a man put on woman's garments, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. So he made it clear. In Genesis 1.31, look what it says there. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So what we find in creation in Genesis chapter 1 becomes a model for understanding what is good. In fact, here in verse 31, it's very good. He is deeply satisfied with what he's done. And Amos chapter 5 verse 14 takes off of this. Genesis 1.31 All the creation, including male and female, is very good. 
Amos 5.14, pursue the good. We're obligated to, to reproduce in our own lives what we find in Genesis chapter 1. So it disobeys the commands of Scripture. So from the very beginning, in the Word of God, God defines what feelings are in bounds and out of bounds. It's precisely what He does. God defines and tells us what feelings are in bounds and what feelings are out of bounds. Let me ask you, if you have an anorexic friend, and she says she's whittled down to 65 pounds, and she says, I'm fat. She feels that way. She's entirely sincere. Are you going to confirm her feelings and support her in that? You're going to be compassionate. You're going to be loving. But you're going to try to convince her otherwise, and that's what we're doing today with transgenderism. So transgenderism disobeys the commands of Scripture. But then fifth, transgenderism destabilizes the condition of children. He said in verse number 28, be fruitful and multiply. And he says that in the context of the garden. And so the world is precisely fit and fine-tuned for the existence and the flourishing and the thriving of children. And every culture is to do so. The number one priority of every culture and every society is for the adults to restrain themselves to where children can thrive and flourish. When you have that, you know what you have? We call it civilization. When children take a back seat and the culture attacks them and undermines their well-being and their flourishing, you know what you have? You have a barbaric society, if you can say that good about it. So, Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 6 says, Woe to him who's a stumbling block to these little ones. It would be better if he were to take a millstone and put it around his neck and be cast into the depths of the sea. Garrett Kell has written that children should be objects of love and care and not experimentation. He said these attempts to change the gender of children with hormones and surgery are actually driving a political and social agenda. And then he says, if this open-ended experimentation, which is not supported by the sciences, if this is not child abuse, then I'm not sure what really is. And the American College of Pediatricians is using the word criminal to describe it. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't want us to treat children this way and impose on them the um, unrestrained sexual vision and social vision of misguided adults. It destabilizes the condition of children. But then finally, transgenderism discounts the certainty of prophecy. Prophecy is very, very clear about a number of events. One in particular are resurrections to judgment. John chapter 5, in verse 28 and 29, Jesus announced this, and He said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's going to be a resurrection of believers and a resurrection of unbelievers. And we've seen from 1 Corinthians 15, they will be raised according to their initial gender. There is a resurrection. We will all stand before God and give an account of what we did with Jesus Christ. And then an account 
of how we behaved. So there are resurrections to judgment, and the only way to be safe in eternity is to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ with a saving faith that will transform you, even in the areas of morals and sexuality. And you will love the Word of God. You'll love Genesis chapter 1. And you'll do all that you can to conform to it, and you'll grieve when you don't. So there is certain, certainly resurrection to judgment. And Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of Lazarus are guarantees that these will happen. But then there is relief from misery. This world has been cursed by the fall. Because of sin and it's entered the world, there's an awful lot of indescribable misery. A lot of hurt, suffering, heartache and sorrow but God promises a new day is coming he says in Romans 8 18 I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility back in Genesis 3 not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, he uses words here that describe not only the future, but they also describe Jesus. Do you know what kind of future God has planned for those who trust and follow Jesus? Do you have any idea? Right now you may be, may be miserable with this particular subject or some of the others we've talked about or something we haven't even thought about. You might be full of heartache and tears may cascade down your face, but I want to tell you the moment you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the moment you give to Him your guilt, the moment you give to Him your shame and your pain and you come to Him in faith in His cross and resurrection, God enfolds you into Jesus Christ and makes you one with Him so that the future of Jesus Christ becomes your future. And everything that Jesus inherits becomes yours as well. You become a co-heir with Jesus Christ. What a great gift of God. In other words, your future can look just like Jesus. And He purchased that at the cross and in the resurrection. You don't need to run with this confused world with transgenderism and all the other confusing issues. You take your little red wagon and let you to the rising star of Jesus Christ and I'll guarantee you, you'll never, ever regret it. Bless His name. That's what God promises you. In fact, let's imagine you're attempting to restore a Chevrolet. Now, some would say, that's not worth it. Don't restore Chevrolets. But let's imagine that you're restoring a Chevrolet. And you want to put a lot into it, and you've got the resources to do it. What kind of parts would you use? Now, some of the people I've known through the years and how they work with cars, they would try to find parts from the Italian car maker Fiat to fit the Chevrolet. I don't know, in some cases that might be an improvement. But if you're going to restore a car, you go back to the original. And when God begins to restore people, He uses the best. And he restores them back to the original. That's what he does. And he respects his original design. That's what God's going to begin doing in some of you today. Because we're going to sing a song in just a moment. 
And our staff will be standing here, and you believe it's time for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. We're going to invite you to do it and say yes to Him. Our staff will be here. Pastor Ovidio will be here as well for those that need Spanish translation and the invitation. I want to encourage you to come. Now let me assure you, if you come today, we're not going to begin to suspect that you have a problem with transgenderism. Okay. Sometimes people make decisions during the week. They make them early in the week. They're going to go ahead and come and without any reference to the sermon. That happens a lot more than what you know. Okay, you've got to know that. It's very quite humbling for the preacher, but that, that's really how it goes. But anyway, you come. You give your heart and life to Christ. Some of you need to become part of Beach Haven Baptist Church. What you've seen today and what you've witnessed the last several days on the campus of the church is really what Beach Haven's about. Okay? And, and God's moving you. He's directing you. You come. Maybe there's some other need that you have. You come as well. But I want to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to ask you to come.